morning and welcome to episode 955 of Effectively Wild, daily podcast and baseball perspectives brought to you by Play Index at BaseballReference.com and our Patreon supporters. I'm Sam Miller along with Ben Lindbergh of The Ringer. Hello, Ben. Hello. How are you? I'm all right. The uh, website we used to record the podcast was down all day yesterday, so we didn't do a podcast, but we're back in business today. We are. And yeah. so, so is the website that we use to record the podcast. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I wanted to uh, to briefly circle back to Apple Pears, which uh, okay. I, I went to I went back to Trader Joe's and I saw that uh, these Apple Pears uh, were actually uh, behind a sign that said Asian Pears, and so uh-huh. it, they had not. Uh, this was not a matter of me misreading. They have actually labeled these a- Asian Pears, but the sticker says Apple Pear, and I looked on the internet. And apparently, Asian pears and apple pears are the same thing. They are uh, two different names for a product that is marketed. I will say that this Asian pear was like no Asian pear I've ever eaten. It was very similar, but the surface of it was applier. The flesh was very similar. The skin was smooth and polished, though, uh, more like an apple, less like a pear. And um, uh, so I'm still kind of like I'm not sure whether it was... Whether I just got a weird Asian pear or whether there's a spectrum, I don't know. So Maybe uh, you're just conditioned to find some difference because it had a different I label. I wondered. I know I wondered. I was afraid to eat it. I was going to do all this before I ate it because I didn't want to – I didn't trust my assessment of it. Once I had had all these potential fallacies, by, you know, <laughs> potentials for bias introduced to me by the label – I didn't. I didn't want to be on record as saying something that I didn't trust. But the website that we used to record the podcast was down yesterday, and yes. so I ate the pear. <laughs> anyway, um, one other thing: Rio Ruiz mm. uh, pinch hit in his major league debut and was pinch hit for before he could dig into the, the batter's box. This is a callback to uh, the live episode that we did. Uh, he is currently the only player in history whose entire career in the majors is this, is a pinch-hitting appearance in which he did not bat. So admit it, you're rooting against him ever playing again. A hundred percent. He will okay. probably he will probably play again, though. It seems very unlikely that Rio Ruiz's career is over. But, you know, got a shot. Got a shot at it. Right now it is, exists. <laughs> Good to know. Do you want to briefly uh, share any thoughts about A.J. Preller? Well, I did a podcast interview with Dennis Lynn of the San Diego Union, San Diego Union Tribune on Friday. So he filled me in about it. And one of the things I brought up on that episode, which we probably would have talked about if we had talked about it, and maybe we will talk about it now, is I think, as you mentioned in our book, how there is sort of this fine line between cheating, rule breaking, and just intelligently exploiting the rules. And so it it wasn't clear whether what he did was just violating an unwritten rule and kind of a gentleman's agreement and the way things are typically done or actually breaking a, a rule. And if he was not breaking a, a real codified set of instructions for how you how you record players' medical information then maybe what he did uh, was smart in a sense. Maybe he pulled off some trades because the Padres were not reporting this information that he wouldn't have pulled off otherwise. 
I don't know. You you might think that it would just come back to bite him anyway, apart from the 30-day suspension, which came at a an opportune time, I suppose, for the Padres, because what is AJ Preller really even doing right now if he weren't suspended? But other than that, it would probably hurt relationships, and I'm sure even more people are anti-AJ Preller now than they were before, and so that will probably erase any benefit of just being able to make a couple trades or, or get a little bit back in trades that you might not have been able to get anyway, but does kind of fall into that legacy of exploiting loopholes and outright rule breaking. Yeah, I don't have a take on this. I have a, I've been having a hard time knowing where to come down on it, either in support or not in support of him. I guess that to the extent I have any opinion, uh, which is not to be mistaken for an opinion in general, like I don't have a thumbs up, thumbs down, but the fact that they, like it doesn't seem like he did a very good job of hiding it. Like there, yeah, there doesn't right. seem to be any intent of being all that misleading. Like he, it's from the way you, maybe you can correct me, but the way that I read it, the Padres were fairly upfront that they were opting out of this system by their actions, right? Like that the average team has like 60 or something entries by this point in the year. And they had like 10, which is just like, you would think that uh if you wanted to disguise it, you'd also have like, you'd have 45 or something like that, but yeah. you'd, you'd cover your tracks. And there doesn't seem to be any track covering here, which I think it is not to say that I'm a pro AJ here, but I think that that one detail uh is a pro AJ detail. Although that could elude a, a team you're trading with, because if they're only looking up the records for a couple of players that they're talking to you about trading for, and those guys don't have many entries, they might not look and say, well, how many entries do the Padres have as a whole? They might just say, oh, well, this guy wasn't hurt. Yeah, no, so, it's not. It's, it's, it is, um, I don't know that it, I'm not sure that it is his obligation, though, to proactively say that we're opting out of it, but it at least shows that. I think that it does sort of show that there wasn't a cover-up, that it was like, oh, well, we're just going to, like, we'll leave this thing here, and if you notice, you notice. It's on you to notice, but if you don't notice, that's good for us. Um, uh-huh. Like, it sort of feels like avoiding, you know, like, you don't, look, if, you're, if your dad asks you if you uh, mowed the lawn uh, when he comes home late, it is a lie to tell him that you did if you did not. However, if you were supposed to mow the lawn and you didn't and he comes home late and he can't, you know, it's dark, you can take advantage of the darkness to maybe get away with it. Like you're not, nobody expects you to walk up to your dad and go, by the way, I didn't mow the lawn. Like yeah. that's a, that is probably, and so I, I wouldn't, uh, like my punishment for the guy who lies to his dad would be um, a lot stricter than the guy whose crime is didn't mow the lawn. Like to me, not mowing the lawn is like, oh, okay. It's a different crime. It's a much smaller crime than lying. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm getting way too many opinions uh, <laughs> in this in this uh, segment, uh, considering I don't have any. The other thing is I, I do think that suspending a GM for a month is weird, and I don't yeah. like that as any sort of precedent. Like, I don't like that to be what MLB thinks is the way you discipline a club for what they decide is cheating. And if they, if there's, if they're, if MLB's position is, well, it's not cheating. And so we don't want to give them a real punishment, then don't give them a, a punishment. But if your position, which it is, is that it was cheating and therefore he does need a punishment, have a punishment that makes sense. Like this is not a, 
I, I don't believe that suspending a manager, a GM for a month means really hardly anything at all. Even if it were in the middle of the winter meetings, I don't think it would mean anything at all. Particularly in the last month of a playing out the string season, it doesn't mean anything at all. Um, And I just don't like this as the precedent for how MLB is going to handle teams that really do cheat to their advantage. Uh, If you want to strike back at them, you have to actually do something that will cost them uh, their gains. Otherwise, you've got a moral hazard here. Well, do you mean that it doesn't do anything because you can't really police whether the GM is working or not, or, you know, if he's communicating with yeah, people? Or yeah. do you mean that it just doesn't matter if you don't have the GM for 30 days? I would say 80% of the former and 20% of the latter. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah, it does seem like a difficult thing to regulate. I mean, he's probably still going to be able to, you know, access the Padres database or whatever and, like, plan the off season. I mean, you can't stop him from thinking about baseball, which is kind of part of a GM's job. And uh, yeah, particularly in the Padres case, because they are done, they're not going to the postseason. It's, you know, more than a month away from free agency and winter meetings and GM meetings and all that. So probably no real concrete cost. Then again, I, I wonder whether the Cardinals precedent had any bearing on this, like whether either the fact that there wasn't a more severe penalty was because the Cardinals didn't get a more severe penalty and that was a probably a more severe crime. So either that or maybe they were worried that this was sort of a trend that they wanted to kind of nip in the bud, you know, we want to show that we're taking a hard line with this so we're going to have a real concrete penalty so that front offices will stop messing with each other. I don't know whether that had any bearing on this, but it was hard not to think of that as a somewhat tenuously related precedent but i don't know i agree I, I think it's it's hard to say whether this was outright wrong or just smart or inadvisable i think on the whole it's probably not smart i think uh you know for one thing you're they, they did get they did get anderson espinoza they did probably I, I, probably you, i would say i don't think that that's why they got him right it, probably they yeah. would have been fine anyway but uh yeah. you can't say that it hurt them in any way, it hurt AJ Preller's reputation, and it's, which could hurt the Padres in a real way. It could, but it probably won't. I would be very surprised if it does. I mean, I would I say know. that this is I this mean, is this is something that will be in AJ Preller's obituary someday, uh-huh. but like f- f- sixth paragraph, and he won't mind because he'll be dead. Uh, <laughs> otherwise, I don't think I. I think that it, there's a possibility that it hurts his standing in the industry if these things pile up so it's potentially a brick in a way that hurts him professionally yeah and because he had this reputation already because he had the, had the, the rangers infraction this is piling on to that so. and i would but i would also guess that those bricks never get built up to the point that it matters to him and i don't think it matters to the padres at all like i would be unless there was some uh, i yeah i'd be very surprised if if this had any actual real world uh consequences for the padres Uh beyond whatever the suspension does or doesn't do yeah you could say it's morally questionable not just because you're potentially deceiving a team but also because you're potentially putting a player at some elevated risk if a team doesn't know about some ongoing issue or you know can't see what's been done before when it's deciding how to treat him that's something that could potentially come back to hurt the player who is innocent in, in all of this. So I don't know. I wouldn't do it, I don't think. I don't think it's worth getting away with it once or twice for all of the problems that 
come your way when it's unearthed. But uh, but I agree, it's not quite as open and shut as one might think. Yeah, and I don't have opinions on it. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, so, Ben, there are currently 16 teams whose playoff odds are below 2%. Uh-huh. We, we can say that their seasons are, are done. They are not going to the playoffs. There are two more teams whose playoff odds are under 20%. And yet another one whose playoff odds are 21.6%. They are unlikely to make the playoffs, but uh, we'll see if we want to talk about them. But for now, we'll limit it to the uh, half the league that is out of it, that is done, that failed to accomplish what every team sets out to do and will not be winning the championship this year. I wanted to talk about those teams and see whether you would declare their season successes or failures. Okay. Uh, And the... Premise of this is that there are 30 teams and only one wins the World Series, but I don't think that 29 teams uh, would say their seasons are failures. Some of them might consider it successful that, you know, I remember feeling in 2011 or so that the Astros had to feel pretty good because Marwin Gonzalez and Matt Dominguez had developed into useful role players or something like that. <laughs> and uh, that was, I think, a fine way of assessing their season. Or maybe it wasn't. Maybe I thought in the whole that there weren't enough of those. But I can't remember. Uh, but the the basic idea is that, uh, that there are more successes than uh, there are World Series champions. And so I want to go through the losers and see which of them you thought uh, would say that their season was successful. And uh, I don't really want you to say whether their season is successful because I don't want to impose our values <laughs> for that organization on them. I want to know whether you would guess that the GM goes home uh, on October 3rd or whatever and says, uh, job well done. Feel, you know, feel good. Feel good about that season. Feel good about what we accomplished. Uh-huh. And maybe the answer is no to all of them. I don't know. Okay. You ready? Yeah. All right. San Diego Padres. <laughs> success, not success. 63 and 87, tied for last place in the NL West. Yeah. And uh, their GM uh, is AJ Pro. <laughs> he just got suspended. I heard. Yeah. Yeah. Nothing strikes me as, I guess the biggest success you could say is that they moved on from the last failure in a, you know, pretty convincing way. I mean, they made some trades that helped undo the damage that had been done generally well-regarded exchanges. And at the major league level, I don't think there's really all that much you could say says success or or failure. I mean, I don't know. No one expected all that much, and, and they were pretty bad. So I guess you could say that they have begun to dig themselves out of the hole that they dug for themselves last year. And so in that sense, it's a success, right? The outlook for the Padres is better today than it was at, say, the All-Star break last year when you wrote your article about whether the Padres were better off than they had been over the winter, and it looked like they were worse in every respect and and were sort of hopeless as currently constructed. And now maybe they've made enough moves and acquired enough talent that you can say they're like any other rebuilding team that's just embarking on that process and in theory will eventually be good again. So... I guess you could say that's a success. Yeah, they were uh right, you you referred to the piece that I wrote for Jabo which was late summer of last year when they just had the worst outlook. Like their farm system was brutal, the contracts they had going forward were brutal, the team they had was horrible. 
Uh, there was really nothing good that you could say about their previous eight months uh, or so. And it didn't seem that they were fixable. And they, I don't know when we're starting our assessment period. I don't know if we're counting like the Craig Kimbrell trade, for instance, which was on mm-hmm. the eve of the season, right? Or no, it wasn't. That was the first day Craig Kimbrell trade was on the yes, eve of the season. Right. This one was in November. Never mind. But I mean, certainly to have Drew Pomeranz, the guy who uh, on opening day was a fringe major leaguer who you might hope to get 16 starts out of, uh, to turn him into uh, one of the best trade pieces and to get like you know, a potential star out of that is a big success. And to get rid of Matt Kemp uh, is a big success. And on the other hand, though, I think the only reason that I wouldn't say, uh, yes, certainly they're better off. I think they are better off than they were at the beginning of the year, but uh, in aggregate. But to have uh, Andrew Kashner and Tyson Ross, who were their two, you know, valuable pieces, both just turn into completely non-valuable parts for them is a big loss. And I think that if you were figuring out how you get the Padres out of where they were, you using Kashner and Ross uh, to sort of reset the team uh, as trade pieces was how you were going to get there. And they ended up getting, I mean, well, Ross, obviously, it wasn't traded and, and isn't traded. Uh, and Kashner had just, you know, more or less a meltdown. And I, I'm not that into the return that they got for him. And then James Shields, sort of the same thing. Shields was a guy who basically had a terrible year, melted down, and they ended up having to, you know, take nothing to get rid of him. Uh, and so I would say that those are our losses for them. But, you know, Pomeranz in a way just took over that spot. Pomeranz took over where, you know, you might have seen Tyson Ross. Yeah. So, eh, I, I would say that uh, I feel a lot better about the Padres than I did one year ago when I wrote that piece. But I don't think I feel any better about them than I did on opening day. Uh, and so I would consider them to have lost. I, I would say it was a disappointing season. And they were really okay. bad, too. You can't, you know, they, nobody expected yeah. the Padres to win. But even if you're a team that projects to be in fourth place, you still kind of want to win 82 games. You'd, you'd still like <laughs> to have an, an interesting summer. And the Padres were bad from, from jump. And they have been a bad team all year in a sort of depressing way. Mm-hmm. And they, yeah, they've I mean, had, and they've had kind of depressing storylines around them as well, like the Prowler thing, and like yeah. the James Shields, you know, thing and all that. So. Although they are the subject of the new Fox series pitch, which oh, uh, are is, they? Yeah, which is uh, pretty good. I just did a podcast about that too, so that's good PR, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Fictional Padres are in a better shape than the real Padres. Yeah, I don't know. I think they are better off than they were, but that's also a pretty low bar. I don't think we can say that they're necessarily a success just because they are better off. So not abject failure, but... Not success. We're doing binary here. Yeah, I'm not going to go home and feel great about this year. Okay. Probably. All right. Diamondbacks uh, (laughs) tied with the Padres, 63 and 87. And probably the... It, nothing even needs to be said, right? The, the, this is no. the clearest failure in Major League Baseball this year. Yes. This is a team that not only had expectations for itself, but put a lot of investment into those expectations that now will severely less, lessen their chances of succeeding in the future. Yep. I, I don't think any team goes home, even if, uh, let's see here. If, uh, meh, look, if the Blue Jays lose on the last day of the season and don't make the playoffs, maybe they go home more depressed than the Diamondbacks. Otherwise, uh-huh. or the Giants, I guess if the Giants miss the playoffs, they'll go home more d- disappointed than the Diamondbacks, maybe. Uh, but otherwise, the Diamondbacks are the failure of the season. 
Yeah, I can't even tell how they think about themselves. For all I know, they might be in complete denial or have some other spin on this, but I don't see any other way to think of it than that. So, yes. All right, and then the last team in the NLS, the Rockies, 72-78 and 78 after hovering around 500 or sort of pushing toward 500 in the summer and even flirting with the idea of being a buyer at the trade deadline. They've kind of fallen off, uh, but uh, what say you? Yeah, I think... They're definitely closer to success than the Rockies have been in quite some time. They have a positive run differential, which is, I think, that qualifies as a success, probably. Yeah, they are the a Padres and they are a 500 team right now, according to Pakoda, which was yeah. not true at the beginning of the year. Yeah, so that and you know the combination of the results and some of the young players who have established themselves and. And, you know, been useful, whether it's Trevor Story or David Dahl or John Gray, who's coming off a really great start or, you know, any of those guys. There's a, enough young talent there that you can point to this being the beginning of something. And they also exceeded 2016 expectations. So, yes, I would say the Rockies are our first success. Yeah, they haven't. They're an interesting team. They haven't really had anything go wrong for them in like seven months, unless you count Jake McGee. And like DJ LeMahieu turning into like kind of a bona fide star almost. Yeah. Which uh-huh. I don't think anybody really saw coming two years ago and, and even one year ago. Uh, and yeah, I mean, story, Trevor Story is, you know, one of the great developments that any team had this year. Uh, Arenado maintaining superstar level performance is great. There's not really anybody other than, you know, Carlos Gonzalez, who's sort of aging out of the window. And right now they have four starters who have been better than league average starters by ERA plus. In fact, uh, well, yeah, four, four. And uh, those guys are all coming back next year. They're 27, 24, 26, and 26. This is, I don't know. This is not a team where I exactly see like, oh, well, you know, two more good things happen and all of a sudden they're winning 93 games. So I don't know that I'm like excited to be a Rockies fan or anything like that. But uh-huh. uh, they've you know, they've had a good farm system, and a lot of things went well for them yep. this year. And there are certainly players who you expect to be better next year than you expected them to be this year six <laughs> yes. months ago, which I guess is the test. So success. Rockies mm-hmm. feel good. All right. Yeah. All right. Uh, Cincinnati Reds. Um. Same record as same record as the Diamondbacks and the Padres, but even less hope of competing beforehand. I mean, they were maybe the most, other than the Braves, probably the most punty team in the NL going into the season. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, yeah. I uh, I I remember Joshian writing some not terribly negative things about them and how they might be the team in that tanking class that could actually approach decency, but that didn't happen, and they've been terrible and. They haven't obviously had the public PR problems and front office dysfunction stories that the Diamondbacks have had, but they've been every bit as bad as a baseball team and not a particularly interesting or exciting or watchable baseball team. It's Joey Votto and some guys, so I don't see any clear indication that this is a success. Yeah, they they had Jay Bruce bounce back at the right time. Uh-huh. So that would be one successful thing that happened. They had kind of Adam Duvall, but, you know, <laughs> not really. They had uh, Rysel Iglesias looked like he was turning into a thing, and then now he's a reliever because his shoulder can't handle it. 
And otherwise, it's hard to find anything really good that happened this year. And I don't know if you count this as part of this year or not, but it has to just burn them up to see what the Yankees got for Heraldus Chapman. Yeah. Yeah, that there's been a, a pattern of the Reds not really getting as much as everyone thought they would get for their players. And some of that was this year. So, yeah, nothing right. nothing successful here. Reds, not successful. Okay. Uh, Brewers. Brewers, you know, the Brewers, they're interesting because I, when I went on MLB Network to talk about Pakoda, when Pakoda came out, I remember Ron Darling was aghast that we had the Brewers winning as many games as the Royals, which is as much a statement about where, you know, where Pakoda had the Royals as about the Brewers. But I think that Pakoda had the Brewers at like 78 and Ron Darling just kept going, they're tearing down, they're in full rebuild. And I remember thinking, no, they're not a bad team. Like, they, I could totally see them getting there. And they're not going to get to 78. So I guess in that sense, they're a little disappointing. But they're probably going to get to 74-ish at uh-huh. the end, when it when it comes to the end of this. But, of course, that's not that relevant to their future. What is relevant to their future that happened this year? Well, they remade their entire roster, really. And Stearns was one of the busiest GMs last winter. And... Made a ton of moves, not that many high-profile ones, but just really turned over, I think, half the 40 men after he took over in short order. And, uh, you know, some of those guys have turned out to be good. I think their off-season was generally regarded as extremely successful and smart and efficient. And they have had some players really pan out from those moves, like Jonathan VR has been uh, very good, and Junior Guerra was a surprise success, so... They've had lots of guys like that, sort of, you know, smart, kind of low-profile pickups, and they made more moves at the deadline. They seem to get good returns for guys like, uh, you know, Lucroy and Will Smith and Jeffress, and they now have what is widely regarded as either the best or second-best farm system in the game. So I think between that continued successful remodeling and the team not falling to the depths, at least yet, that we've seen of other recent rebuilding teams. I think it qualifies as a success. Yeah, the probably the most dispiriting part of the team is that you come into it with Jimmy Nelson and Taylor Youngman looking like, you know, they were going to be cost-controlled pitchers who were, you know, like good enough to be maybe a number two and a number four on a playoff-bound team. Uh, and both of them were really disappointing this year. I would say, uh, in ways that you don't count on them to be in a rotation of a playoff contending team necessarily anymore. And so I, I do feel like you can see the core of a good team here. I also don't know where you get five starters between now and then. Uh, and so maybe that that's daunting at the end of the year, but I, uh, you know, I basically agree. Is Jonathan VR, like, <laughs> how do you project Jonathan VR next year? <laughs> I, I, I don't know. He's like a four or five win player this year. Uh, he's going to be, uh, you know, he's going to be a 2060 guy. <laughs> One of those. Yeah. I, I don't know. Um, and hasn't he been like a not very valuable base runner, even though he has been a high volume base stealer? Yeah. The different base running metrics disagree a little bit, but yeah, he has uh, not been a, he has not been a, a very productive base runner. Yeah. Well, I don't know. But uh, between him and and they also had three innings from someone named Damien Magnifico. So I think if you have Damien Magnifico on your team, you had a successful season. Yeah. Youngman, by the way, I'm checking because he was so bad that he got sent down to the minors. And then he was so bad there that he got sent down to double A. And I was wondering whether there was going to be 
some yips reported or something. It looks like he cleaned it all up in double A. He's been good in double A. So hmm. I guess uh, you can't even blame it on the yips. <laughs> all right. All right. Next, we have the Pirates. Yeah. One game under 500. Yeah. I wrote about the Pirates last week. I think, I mean, we're kind of grading on a curve here, obviously. I, you know, a, a few years ago, four years ago or something, the Pirates being this good would have been a success. And if the Reds or the Padres or the Diamondbacks had the record that the Pirates had, that would be a success. But based on the expectations for the Pirates, I think you could probably call this year a failure. I think some of their stars have not played at a star level, and I wrote about the whole race series reputation and, and how they haven't had a whole lot of their reclamation projects pan out other than Ivan Nova recently since the trade deadline. Other than that, it seems that they went into the year not having done a whole lot whether that was because they were overconfident in Searage or because they just couldn't spend the money or what, I don't know. But they didn't do much, and people said, hey, they didn't do much, and then they haven't done much in the season. So I think their offseason was sort of seen as poor planning, and I think it has not worked out in most ways. And I don't know that they've affected my long-term outlook for them all that much. I don't think they're... a suddenly a disaster or anything but i don't think this year was a success yeah they were projected by pakoda to be like an 82 83 win team and they were yeah they were the royals of the nl they kind of were under the radar but they were outperforming their pakoda projections by as much as the royals were uh yes. and uh it's always a shame when you find out that uh the the, the magic trick that you do is actually not a magic trick uh-huh. You know, so preseason projection, uh, pre- preseason staff predictions at BP had them finishing in second place ahead of the Cardinals with two first place votes, and you know clearly ahead of the Cardinals by our staff predict- predictions. Next year, are they? Is there? Is it close to that, or do you think that it'll be a pretty clear consensus among staff that they're third place or worse, and no first place votes? Hmm. Well, obviously depends on the off season, but based on what we know now, I'd probably guess that I would end up putting them around the same place that I would have put them this year. Yeah, I want to say I would too, but I should check to see where I had them. Yeah, I had them in third place last year, uh, and I even think that I know how many wins I. Had. I think I had them winning eighty three. Uh, so that seems about right to me. Mm-hmm. But again, like it sort of goes back to with the 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 magic popped, you know. I guess mm-hmm. so. Right. Uh, but that's clearly an unsuccessful season. They, they had, they, uh, they're the first team that we've said that intended to be in the playoffs and they are not yeah. in the playoffs. And you know, they're, I don't know. I, I kind of found their trade deadline to be depressing. Uh-huh. Uh, right. and, uh, then also to have the trade deadline then be followed by their somewhat predictable hot streak as they they played a very soft schedule made the trade deadline look even more depressing because they they looked like contenders all of a sudden and, and they fell apart, and you could you could now wonder, well, what if they had, you know, what if they had gone into July thinking of themselves totally differently? So mm-hmm. I, I say not success. Uh, yeah. All right, Braves expected to be bad, every bit as bad as expected. Yeah, right. This has been basically what everyone thought the Braves were going to be. I it doesn't really say success or outright failure to me. It kind of just is what we thought it would be. So. I don't know that they've done enough to move them into the success bucket. Like, I don't know how how could the Braves have qualified as a success this year if, if they had brought up a bunch of 
really talented young players and they've done well. I mean, they've, you know, they've done that to a certain extent. They got Dansby Swanson to the big leagues. And yeah. so there are some examples of that kind of thing. And some of their prospects have gone backward, I guess. You know, I don't know that they've really changed their outlook all that much, but they also haven't accelerated the timeline. Like there's nothing that you look at this team and say, oh, this is going to be a contender sooner than we thought or they're going to be good next year or something. So I don't think it really, I mean, I guess we have to pick one, but it just, it's a very neutral season, I think. I could see, look, if Swanson had come up and been Gary Sanchez, Or if Aaron Blair had had a good year, you know, if you'd had things you could build on. And there are, every team has some of those things. I mean, Freddie Freeman is even better than I thought he was six (laughs) months ago. I mean, he's a superstar. Uh, Mm -hmm. like they, they, they had at the beginning of the year, they had Freddie Freeman and now they have Anthony Rizzo, basically. And that's an upgrade in my opinion. So that's good. And Ender and Ciarte had another good year, which, you know, the Diamondbacks were so eager to give him away, apparently, that you wondered. And But he's great. And so there are there are things like that. But, mm-hmm. I mean, Blair... They had Anthony Wrecker. Yeah. Uh, they... <laughs> to win. On the other hand, uh, Blair was a disaster, and uh, they didn't manage to... Like, you would sort of hope that you... Like, even if you're a terrible team, you kind of want to have three good relievers come out of the pool of muck that you start with. And, you know, one of them's your closer next year and two of them you trade at the deadline for value. And mm-hmm. they didn't get anything like that. So it really is close to a, a push. I would say, yeah, I would say, right. I'll say I'm uh, not comfortable saying success. So I, I guess I'm going to say failure. They're also, <laughs> they're, yeah, they're also not going to get the first pick, are they? Oh yeah, that's true too. So yeah, I mean, it's, it's kind of unfair to put, all the failures in the same category because some of them are really bad failures and some of them are just a little itty bitty failures, but it's not a success. I don't think so. Failure it is. Agreed. All right. Phillies. Well, I guess the Phillies have done, they kind of also fall into the more or less met expectations category. I think they came into the year projected to be just as bad, if not worse than the Braves, I think. But I remember doing our season preview podcast and the Phillies episode was significantly more upbeat than the Braves one was because we knew that there were going to be some fun, promising players on this Phillies team and they seemed to be closer to the other end of the tunnel than the Braves were. And they've been better than the Braves, of course. They haven't been good. So have they done enough? They they had some successful surprise players although there's sort of some asterisks to those seasons like it was because they're they're left-handed that was a bad baseball reference joke sorry because i'm yeah i don't get it yeah they put asterisks next to their names if they're left-handed oh i see this is a horrible horrible (laughs) horrible job i'm staring at their page and there are literally asterisks next to their seasons and so i couldn't help but say did i take that forget it go so uh they are closer to success for me, I think, than the Braves are. On the other hand, I guess they've had some players who kind of went in the other direction, right? Like Michael Franco mm-hmm. had a really promising 2015 and then took a step or multiple steps back. So yeah. are they closer to where they want to be than they were at the beginning of the year or that we thought they would be? No, I don't think so. But... I don't know. I, I guess they kind of fall into the Braves category for me. I'm having a hard time declaring success. How is Jeremy Hellickson on their team? 
Yeah, that's kind of a failure that he's still pitching for them, I suppose. Yeah. I don't know how Nola's... What is Nola? Nola's... Yeah, he's, he's another one. What kind of hurt is Nola? It was an elbow thing. Hmm. UCL sprain, flexor sprain, PRP injection, one of those kind of nebulous is he going to get Tommy John not yet but we'll see yeah. kind of situations yeah I, I so that probably sinks it for me I think if maybe two months ago I would have said that uh, Velazquez Eikhoff and Nola like I can build a marketing campaign around them next spring like that's yeah. that's good that's really good but now I don't and two is not enough for a marketing campaign and uh <laughs> that's a bad lineup it's like a really Really, really bad lineup. Mm-hmm. And uh, the one guy who was supposed to, you know, be batting third or fourth for this lineup for the next seven years was worse than Adam Duvall. So, <laughs> so yeah, I don't. I, I would. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think. I, I, I think uh, they had a fun first half. Yes. Uh, and so for that reason, I think that they're also higher than some of these other non-successes that we've said. But I mm-hmm. think I'm also saying not quite a success maybe even closer to success than the braves so those two are both razor thin right Uh, we would if i let you we would call them pushes yeah all right marlins 75 and 75 500 team Hmm. they have at times looked like a success they have they almost made the playoffs yeah so which is you know i mean they were a, a pick they i i remember we talked about i think maybe on the season preview episode that they are always a trendy pick. It seems like they're, you know, every year someone picks the Marlins to do well and they have some talented guys. And so you can kind of imagine how all of it could come together. Maybe just the stability uh-huh. qualify as a success. Yeah, I mean, I think Barry Bonds has been the hitting coach all year and they haven't had a fire sale and there hasn't been any crazy, you know, Loria stuff going on. It's just been a baseball team, basically. So maybe that's enough to be a success. I mean, and, you know, on the field, they've been decent. They've been almost good enough. They had Ichiro. They had Ichiro. They had Christian Yelich take that step forward that everyone was waiting for. They had Jose Fernandez be Jose Fernandez and not get hurt or anything. So Yeah, and like legit Jose Fernandez. Like he is as good. He is as good now as he was before the surgery he is the he might be the second best pitcher in baseball yeah sure so um okay so that clears the bar for me i agree i think uh i think that's a fun season i i i that would i would love it if if my favorite team's median season was the 2016 marlins i'd be perfectly happy with that yeah the Mm -hmm. stanton is the big the big one downer right yes he was fine but you you know you expected more from him he's hurt again and there is always the possibility that he doesn't age well and that mm-hmm. he doesn't opt out and that you end up with that extremely backloaded deal that goes forever but um you know who cares? that's so far so far in the distance uh, mm-hmm. uh yeah marlin success all right quickly to the al i think this will be easier which is good because i also would like it to be over sooner <laughs> angels are uh, just above, I mean, the the Angels, nobody expected the Angels to compete. They probably might have had more hopes than I did, uh, but they were not quite like the Diamondbacks where they were really making a push. 
But all the same, they are the Diamondbacks of the of the AL. Maybe are they? We, yeah, I don't well, know. That's without not the fair. front office stuff. That's true. Without the front office stuff. But yeah, it's been it's a it's just sort of been a depressing season. Mm-hmm. And another season that just it's even more depressing that you it almost has gotten to the point now where instead of redeeming things, no matter how bad they get, the presence of Mike Trout just makes it even just even harder. Like it, he's yeah. gonna it, like it. Oh man, what he's going to finish like twenty fourth in MVP voting, because, <laughs> and it's not really, but it's it's hard to I don't know it's kind of hard. I yeah. so I don't know. The less said the better. Mm-hmm. Not success. And really, the oh, they're pitching. Oh oh, they're pitching. They're poor pitching. They're poor yeah. young pitchers. Ben. Yeah, Garrett Richards and and those guys getting hurt. Probably that alone would be enough to push them. Into this category of failure because there just isn't much on yeah. the other side of the ledger. Yeah. All right. Um, A's? A's. No one really knows what to make of the A's these days. I was so... watching it. I was watching an A's game the other day and I was trying to think of one player that I would want to watch play baseball. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Maybe the most anonymous team yeah. in the majors this year. Yeah. Just uh, not a lot of notable storylines like Billy Butler and Danny Valencia fighting is kind of the most memorable part of the season. So between that, between Sonny Gray, just between the not being good at baseball, not knowing where they stand exactly, it seems like failure. They did turn $6 million that they gave to Rich Hill <laughs> into probably 40 or $50 million worth of young pitching prospects. And a half season of Rich Hill. And a half season of Rich Hill. I mean, that yeah. was that was huge. And they should be a success just for signing Rich Hill, although that was technically last year, right? Yeah. But it happened since last season. Yeah. There's it's really no like it's weird because we can say, well, the Rich Hill thing was amazing and added so much. And then it's hard to think of the other failure, like to counteract it. It was just boring guys doing what you expected in a way that Chris Davis is, you know, he was he had forty homers, right? Yeah. So that's another good thing. Uh huh. Uh yeah, I mean, I, okay, so not a success, but not really just sort of because that was the path they were on. You don't really mm-hmm. see them doing any better next year, yeah. for instance, and I think that's a prerequisite to calling a season a success. All right, Twins? Well, they've been worse than people expected them to be. Glimmers of hope, though, that definitely changed the perception. Byron Buxton hitting lately, and so he'll probably come into next year as the the big breakout player everyone picks. So there's that. There's the fact that they are finally changing some things around and searching for a GM from outside the organization. So that could be a positive sign. I mean, that's the been the big complaint about the Twins is that they never fire anyone. They never bring in new blood. So they have finally committed to doing that. That's a, a step forward. And... They still have talented young players, some of whom have played pretty well, but they have been really bad and worse than anyone expected them to be, I think. So can't quite go to success, I don't think. Definitely some positive signs. Here's what I'm going to say. I'm going to give it to them, and here's why. Okay. All right. We all know that it is to your franchise's benefit, if you are going to be bad, to be as bad as the Twins are. And, True. and yet, I cannot applaud a team that goes there on purpose. I cannot do it. I it is. I believe it is my duty as a fan to shame a team that tries to get as bad as the Twins are. The Twins got to be that bad with none of the moral ambiguity because they it was an accident. 
They genuinely were not trying to be that bad. They tried their best every day of the last 365 days, and they just couldn't do anything except get this bad. And so it was sort of a cake and eat it, too, kind of a thing. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, I I guess that's true. So, And and also, if you – I mean, if you're – I mean, what is Brian Dozier if they trade him this offseason? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's like – that's a that's a franchise rebuilder right there, and that was not going to be true six months ago or even three months ago. So, hmm. and I think you're right. I mean, if you if you look at the, I think if you look at Buxton, Sano, Kepler, that trio, Barrios is a little bit more complicated. But if you look at that trio, I think you see you know some good signs for all of them. Some good signs. Yeah, sure. Maybe I'm being too rigid in my thinking. My thinking being that they are the worst team in baseball yeah. by a lot. <laughs> but by accident. By accident. Yeah. I don't know. It's that's the funny thing too, is that that should be disqualifying. That like <laughs> the fact that it's by accident should make it not successful. And and if it's on purpose it should make it successful. But I don't want to I, I like it. <laughs> If well, they had, if they'd kept the, the I, I think the, the, the regime change, part of it hinges on who they're able to get. If they find that their top three picks for GM don't want to work for them, that would be bad. Uh, if they, you know, hire Dave Stewart, then maybe that would be bad. So it, it partly hinges on, you know, what the things that we're not going to be able to assess for many years. Uh, mm-hmm. but I don't know. I mean, you feel, you certainly feel better about the Twins today than you did 15 games into the season yes <laughs> but maybe not maybe not on season. opening day yeah maybe not on opening day i mean like i gave them credit for some good things happening to sano buxton and kepler but we already loved those three we already right. we already baked in that good things were going to happen to them and arguably right. fewer good things happened to them than we would have liked yeah. i mean yeah you know buxton yeah, we could have been they had like three been, rookie of the year candidates right exactly yeah. and they're not yeah exactly so yeah, yeah so, maybe i and uh, maybe i maybe you're right all right tough call but be nice if we disagreed on at least one team okay but, uh, i'm saying success all right i'm not okay the uh royals sorry the white skipped one the white Sox. white Sox failure i think they kind of like entered the season as like favorites to be a failure maybe i don't know just because it just seemed like they'd finally done some things but not enough things and they weren't really ready to rebuild or anything and they just seemed sort of aimless i mean we talked about them when like before the trade deadline about what they should do and we couldn't figure out what they should do and they don't seem to know what they should do so i think they were trying to contend right they've been trying to contend each year and they did not contend and nor did they make any meaningful steps toward contending in the future, I don't think. So, failure. I think that's right. Aimless team is one knock against them, and team that was good enough to fluke into a division. Like, it wasn't outlandish to think that they could win 87. They didn't win 87. Uh, And so the two ways that they could have made the season successful, I, I don't think either one happened. And not only that, but Matt Alver's ERA is up 500%. (laughs) <laughs> yeah that's awful they did give him a save opportunity though yeah uh all right now the royals royals yeah probably a, well it's not far in either direction i think they uh once again i suppose they have beaten the projections not as convincingly as they had the last couple of years but they still beat them 
and they had lots of injury problems, which you probably don't really look at as a failure. Just, I don't know, it's something that happens to you. Yeah. Maybe you were responsible in some way, but we can't say that. So yeah. it's not something that you chalk up to poor planning or anything like that. It just, it happens. They've played pretty well otherwise, well enough that they even made a run at the end there and made things interesting for a little while and played entertaining baseball. So, eh, you know, I don't know. It's, I mean, this is kind of a year when, I mean, they have some free agents coming up and they had some guys who, you know, like Hosmer just looked like they had taken that step and then went back or Mustakas got hurt or Gordon got hurt. And so a lot of individually failing seasons or disappointing seasons but as a group eh, i think they probably clear the success bar i think that i would call them a success and i think that they but i think they would call it a failure yes Uh, right any defending champion that you know ends up winning whatever 82 games or 85 games or something is probably gonna say that's a failure there are probably three players on that team that you would say that you think are better now than you did six months ago. Uh, yeah. Danny Duffy took a big, yeah. took a big step forward. So that's, that's a really good one. Mike Mistakis seemed to be taking a step forward and then he got hurt and it's not a big enough sample to say one way or the other. And I, even though he's been great, I think Kelvin Herrera took a step forward this year. Um, uh-huh. and like to me, he's now, I didn't really buy him before and now I buy him. I get it. So those are good. And so those would all be things that you would consider successful, but yeah, it's a lost season for a team that was, you know, a, <laughs> that won the world series and went the year before. <laughs> um, but yeah, like you said, I mean, it doesn't really tell you much about next year that is negative. Um, every year that Eric Hosmer plays like a league average first baseman is, I think, dispiriting, but mm-hmm. And Lorenzo Cain was basically a league average player again and yeah. you know, had injury issues and yeah. that sort of thing. So I I, I would say um, that – well, let me put it this way. I think Pocota would call it a success because they had yes. meaningful games late into September. But I think they would call it a failure. Yeah. And what would you call it? Um, In this exercise, we're <laughs> at least we started out saying that we were looking at it from the team's perspective. I think, I think, but... a, I think a failure. Uh-huh. I think I would. It, I, I'm not not to. I'm not saying it in like a, the process failed them or people should feel bad about themselves or anything like that. But I think you go home disappointed to have 83 wins with this roster. Yeah, coming right. off of that year. Yeah, my snap judgment was success, but I am flip flopping on that. I think you know they're they're a team that is in the period when they're supposed to be making the playoffs every year. That's what they've been doing. That's what they hope to do and probably expected to do. So they didn't do that. Uh huh. All right. Last two Tampa Bay Rays. I mean, look, there's the the, the Rays. The, there's a whole Pakoda problem there too because Pakoda was uh, outlandishly high on them relative to the conventional wisdom. And so if you have that anchored in your mind that they're a competitive team and they're going to have like the second or third worst record in the American League, it's hard to call that a success at all. I mean, they were the preseason favorite by Pakoda. So to be not only not in the playoffs, but to be as bad as they are, would have to crush you if you bought into that at all. I don't know how much they bought into it. My guess, my guess is that they did. My guess is that their projections had them winning mid-80s. Just a guess. No knowledge whatsoever. But mm. knowing how similar projection systems tend to be, I would guess that their their own projections had them mid-80s and that this is a, a big letdown for them. 
and even just looking at it as someone who didn't understand that projection or or at least was very surprised to see it i i wouldn't have judged their season based on that but i also wouldn't really judge it that positively based on anything else so failure I also don't like Matt Duffy as much as not that much as a player. I like him fine. He's a he's a he's a role player um, uh-huh. on a good team. I, I don't buy him though as a starter on a good team as like a as a three or four win player. So to me, they they had they went into that trade deadline uh, with a very interesting collection of pitchers, uh, and I um, am a, maybe a little disappointed that what they ended up choosing to do from all of that was get Matt Duffy. And you know, again, like Duffy could be a good player on a good team, uh, but more of a role player. So I'm not that inspired by what they spun out of this season. Mm-hmm. And they had some successes. Evan Longoria is back to being Evan Longoria again, which is, you know, something that hasn't been talked about all that much, maybe because he's on the raise, but he's been great again. And they've made some other smart moves here and there. And Chris Archer season is probably a failure just because he was expected to be maybe the best pitcher in the league he was sort of like a Cy Young favorite coming into the year and then he really had a a dismal first half and he has salvaged it he's made himself back into a a good pitcher who could bring a lot back in a trade but I think people expected him either to be you know the best pitcher for the Rays or to be traded for a ton or one of those things and neither of those things happened and Another year is past. So, <laughs> and every day that Steven Souza and Trey Turner both exist, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> is hard. It's hard to yeah. wake up to. Yeah. Uh, all right. Last one. I would say the easiest one. The inspiration for this whole thing, in fact, is the New York Yankees, uh-huh. which feels like an across-the-board success. Unless, yeah, you unless at some point you became really emotionally invested in them winning the World Series this year, which mm-hmm. would be justifiable and tempting. Yeah, maybe you're disappointed, but uh, successes at the big league roster, successes in the farm, um, and uh, su- more successful contending team than you would have expected, and really a you know a complete coup at the deadline. And Gary Sanchez. And Gary Sanchez. Yeah, yeah, maybe the the easiest call on this list or on this episode at least. So agreed. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> maybe the most successful Yankees season. Of our lifetime that did not end with a parade. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because every so. other every other season that didn't end in a World Series was considered a dismal failure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Even if it was in game – sometimes especially if it was in game seven of the World Series that the season yeah. ended. So, and if you asked uh, Steinbrenner about it, they might still say that it was a failure just because that's the standard Steinbrenner line. But – yeah, I mean, barring a terrible end to the season here, they're going to be a winning team again somehow, despite being outscored by a bunch. And that's pretty amazing. And they made great trades and they now have one of the strongest farm systems in baseball. And they also had some guys debut and one guy looked like a superstar after he debuted. So, and they like salvaged something out of CC Sabathia. And so yeah. there's just a, a lot to be proud of there. Yeah, and also not only did like for instance the Beltron trade, not only did they get a lot for Beltron, but Beltron had to be really good for them to get them there. At the beginning of the season if they tried to trade Beltron, they wouldn't have gotten that for him. So, yeah, yeah just good things happening all over. Uh yeah. all right. So we have successes. Losing teams with successful seasons, we have the Rockies, 
the Brewers, the Marlins, the Yankees, and arguably the Twins. Mm-hmm. All right. All right. Well, that was fun. That will do it for today. You can support the podcast on Patreon by going to patreon.com slash effectivelywild. Five listeners who have already done so. Daryl Purpose, Hubert Sue, Dave Barker, Casey Malone, and someone who wishes to be known as Backside of Magic. If you pay us $5 a month to do this podcast, I will happily thank you as Backside of Magic. Not once, but twice. You can buy our book, The Only Rule Is It Has to Work, our wild experiment building a new kind of baseball team. Check out the website at theonlyruleisithastowork.com for more information, and please leave us a review on Amazon and Goodreads if you like it. You can join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash effectivelywild, and you can rate and review and subscribe to the show on iTunes. You can get the discounted price of $30 on a one-year subscription to the Play Index by going to baseballreference.com and using the coupon code BP. We mentioned Pitch, the new series from Fox earlier in this episode. I did a podcast largely about that for The Ringer, so you can find that at the Ringer MLB Show feed. You can contact me and Sam at podcast at baseballperspectus.com. We will get to your emails later in the week. You can also message us through Patreon. We will talk to you soon. Brought to you by the Play Index at BaseballReference.com and our Patreon supporters. I'm Ben Lindbergh. I'm Sam Miller. I can't... I thought was... Yeah. <laughs> I'm Sam Miller, along with Ben Lindbergh of the... <laughs> Why did I do that? <laughs>